just come and just gather yourself to him again. Thank you, God, for what you've birthed, what you've done. And we just say, Father, we just open ourselves again fresh. Say, Lord, let us, this raging, mighty, rushing wind of your spirit blow through us afresh and birth in us a movement that will go to the ends of the earth under its own energy, not through working very hard, but through divine momentum. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Great. You guys all right? So we, um, I just one thing I, I said, and I just want to under, just to underline again. I just so the, the first thing that Luke is clearly wanting to bring um, uh, was this dependence on the Spirit, this hunger, this. This Moses, unless you go with us, I'm not, we're not moving spirit. It's not the hunger of orphanness or self-pity. And there's a big difference. There's a hunger that comes from disappointment and orphanness and self-pity that it will not produce the fruit of God. It's a, it's a very different hunger. And I know that because I've experienced it. I remember when the cold move Toronto happened and... Uh, it's funny, I lived through that. I was at Exeter University at the time and uh, it always makes me, I try not to give a patronising smile, but a little wry smile when people kind of complain or, or, or are bothered by manifestations, manifestations of the spirit today because I'm always like, seriously, you have not seen anything. But I try not to give that patronising, I've been there, seen it, a smile because that's annoying. Um, but I'm like, seriously, I lived through it. And the power of God was so, I mean, it wasn't that people didn't fake a shake. They couldn't fake anything. They were just like nailed to the floor. People literally couldn't get off the carpet. And uh, I remember, though, that when the spirit came like that, my first experience was, you know, I saw that and was like, God, you're moving. This is First I wasn't believing it, and then I was like, this is really happening. I think we're living through something here. And then the next night, we started having meetings every night, which actually, in hindsight, wasn't a good idea, but there you go. Uh, we started having meetings every night, and God would come every meeting. Apart from, uh, I felt nothing. And there was me and another guy who also felt nothing, and the two of us became friends, because we were just like... <laughs> We were so, I mean, if you can get resistant, we were resistant. I mean, it was like the time when people who just never felt anything felt something apart from me. I was that guy. And so I remember one night becomes two nights, becomes three nights. And at first it's like, Lord, it's amazing you're touching people. And then it's like, Lord, it's amazing. And, and then by the, I think it was by the end of about three weeks of this, of seeing everybody and the, you know, at the front, my life's been changed, my marriage has been restored, I'm weeping, crying, seeing things I'd never seen before. I'm like walking home up Exeter High Street and I just stopped and I shook my fist at God and I said, what is wrong with you? I said, these people don't even want, some of these people haven't been praying for this, they don't even want it, they don't even know what they're asking for and you're filling them and you're not touching me and I've been crying out, I've read every book on revival you can get, I've been crying out for this stuff and you're touching them and not me. And I let rent, you know, rented rent at the heavens and then I stopped. And you know what happened? Nothing. <laughs> Except it started to rain and I trudged home in the rain feeling so, so sorry for myself. And then the Lord spoke to me and he said, how is it you feel when other people uh, are, are touched and experience the spirit that way? And I said, I feel overlooked. And he said, the problem is, Simon, you've always felt overlooked. 
this is not the problem, it's just revealing the problem. And it was that that began the journey of realizing how orphan I had become. There's a hunger that comes from orphanness, that comes from disappointment, that actually doesn't produce the life of God. It, 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 it's not a healthy hunger. And that's why I started with that. It's the promise of the Father. God, in our churches, in our own lives, come from that place that this is my dad. He's affectionate towards me. There's no reluctance on his end. If there's anything, if there's anything in the way that the, the waiting is not waiting for a reluctant God to change his mind. No, the Spirit has already been poured out. It's not that old Pentecostal tarrying where we're calling on God to do something that perhaps he doesn't want to do. No, no, no. There's a waiting involved very often, but it's not that kind of waiting from orphanness. It's a waiting that's a waiting of sonship. That's a waiting for, for something from our Father. It's the, it, as I was saying in the ministry, it's the, it's the sail that was made for the wind. It's the burger that was made for the bun. It's the Pokemon that was made for the Pokeball. It's like we were born for this and we won't be satisfied with anything less. It's that kind of a hunger that we need to come. And very often in our own hearts, it will expose, particularly when we observe other people's lives, and you'll see it in your churches, you'll observe there's a difference between the hunger of orphanness and the hunger of sons. And we've got to go after the hunger of sons and daughters that are secure in their identity, that know who they are, that know this is my promise of my father. It's just a matter of time. If I hold this space for long enough, he can't resist me. Why don't you just close your eyes and say, Father, you can't resist me. <laughs> you can't resist me. Because every healthy child knows that about their dad. That's healthy. That's healthy. And if you can't say that with an, an honest heart, then I would say, say that every day until you can. Close your eyes in your quiet time and look to your father and say, Father, you can't resist me. That's the Abba Father cry, isn't it? You can't resist me. That, that's, that's so attractive to God because that's the spirit of adoption right there. It's not the demanding spirit. It's not the petulant spirit. It's the heart of a son or a daughter that is secure in their father's promise. Dad, you can't resist me. You've been brought into the family. Uh, you might have heard me tell this story before, but my um, sister-in-law has adopted a little Chinese boy and when he was... Um, uh, five or six and, and what happens with Chinese kids we've learned is that when, the, particularly when they come into a, a UK context or an American context they jettison their Chinese as fast as they can because they want to identify with their new mates they don't want to be known as Chinese and so you'll see the family photo and like all Americans when they take the family photos they all have to be dressed the same so they're all dressed the same in this family all these kind of white blonde haired Americans and then there's Nate, Chinese brown skin, Chinese eyes with his American stuff on, looking the same as the family. And Caroline went over there. He was just been in the family a year. And uh, she was interested about how his, you know, what's happened to his Chinese and his English was really improving. He said, um, she, he said, she said, Nate, do you still remember Chinese? And he looked at her with a scowl. He said, how you know I China? <laughs> but I've always loved that story because it just, it, it shows the heart of adoption that is so deep that says, how do you know that I don't fit in this family? <laughs> oh, if we could get that heart into every believer in this nation, we'd turn the world upside down. <laughs> how do you know by China? That, that spirit. So, 
Just, just important to start from that place. Okay, this is point number two. Like, what? We're on the second point. Yes, we're on the second point. So the dependence on the Spirit, Luke was bringing. I think the second thing he wants us to pick up as he's writing is the sensitivity to the Spirit. Acts chapter 5. Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? Shocking story, really, and what is a... What is, I mean, you just wouldn't write this in, would you? You'd skip this if you were the editor. Like, you know, cut that bit out. It's a bit depressing, Acts 5. We're all doing so well until we get to Acts 5. Why is it in there? What's the, the point of it? I, I think you see the same in Acts 8. And they laid their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. Now, when Simon saw the Spirit was given through them and the laying on the apostles' hands, he offered them money, saying, Give me this power so that anyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Spirit. But Peter said, May your silver perish with you because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. We could replace that with hard work or with being very, very good. <laughs> replace it with anything it's the gift of God that's a point that he's making but I think the bigger point is this the early church learned very quickly we have invited someone into our home and suddenly it's not our home anymore it's now his home and we are sensitive to him that's why I think he's given us a a dove why the Holy Spirit why not the Father the Spirit and the Holy Jesus. Why the Holy Spirit? Because there's something about the Spirit that is wanting to be identified, that there's a sensitivity involved on our part, that there's a, there's a, uh, a walking closely with him. And I think that's how you, because you're like, what do, what do we do? So, I mean, you know, you've talked on the dependence of the Spirit. What do we do? Is that all we do, just camp out on the floor for the next until something happens? I think there's something about we've got to move on with our lives, but maintaining this spirit of dependence, right? Maintain that posture of humility. Maintain that, God, you, you've got to fill me again, and you've got to fill us again and again. And it's walking those through. And, and, and how you do it, and I think that's, that's, the, that's the lesson, how you... Don't just get disappointed and say, God, I haven't got what I want until I'm just going to get on and go back to human efforts. I'm going to go back to human strategies. How, how do you do that? And I think it's this point. It's that sensitivity to him. It's that, it's that thing of, Holy Spirit, I'm, going to just, I'm just going to listen to your whispers. I'm going to follow you as best as I can. And I'm hungry for more, but equally at the same time, I'm going to keep moving. It's those two intention. It's that sensitivity that I believe Luke is pointing out to us. And it was interesting, I went down to Mike uh, Pilavachi to chat with him, and um, we've become friends over the years, but this is how I met him. I went down and said, Mike, how, what's, your, what's the keys to doing ministry times? I think you are probably the, the best in the nation in hosting ministry times. What's the key for you? And his points were, were very profound, and this is what he said. My job is to make space for God and get out of the way. He loves to meet and move on his people I'm just facilitating what he wants to do. I thought that was very profound. The emphasis for him is not on him and his gift and his ability at all. The emphasis is on, actually, I'm just just facilitating what he already wants to do. I'm the doorman, if you like, opening the door. And if I've got any skill, it's that I open the door (laughs) to, to what he wants to do. I thought that was profound. And then he said this, whatever you want, Lord, that's my approach. It's his ministry. I wasted too much of my life telling God what to do and ask, telling God what to do and asking him to bless it. And then, uh, I'm sorry, I spent too much of my life telling him what I wanted him to do and then asking him to bless it. Now it's whatever you want, Lord. And then he said this, he said, you have to be prepared then that sometimes not much will seemingly happen, and that's okay. 
He said the danger is otherwise. You just pursue this greater and greater high. And actually if it really is his thing, then sometimes he's going to move quietly and sometimes it's going to be loudly. And that's got to be okay. And sometimes they'll invite you in and it will be amazing. And sometimes people will think, what what happened? (laughs) And that's got to be okay because there's that genuine posture of whatever you want, Lord. I'm going to grow, I'm going to learn, fill me more. But ultimately, it's you, Holy Spirit, who's doing this. I thought that was very, very um, helpful for me uh, in in learning. We've got to be sensitive to the Spirit. And, you know, I think for me, one of the things we've learned is a culture of authenticity really helps that. Because for me, for many years, I believed that um, people wouldn't follow me if I was honest with who I really was. Uh, the lie was that they wouldn't love me if I was really honest, if they saw her. I've got to put this leader persona together and maintain it in people's presence so that they will follow me. And what I've realized is actually the more authentic you are with your journeys, your struggles, the more people want to follow you. <laughs> They can't, you can't love a mask. It's not a real thing. It's only when people remove the mask that we can really enable, uh, that love can really flow. That we can really allow the affection to flow in genuine, because then they're loving the real deal. They're loving you warts and all. God doesn't love you with a mask on. He loves you. He, he loves you for who you are. And he brings his spirit onto who you are. And that's why the evidence right the way through Scripture is God taking... I mean, you know, I was doing the story with the other day, the Gideon, you just wouldn't pick Gideon. God picks him where he is, in the wine vat, hiding in fear, and calls him out. Step out of there, man, man of mighty valour. That's what God does to us all the time. If, we, if we'll come out from the wine vat, if we'll remove the mask, then he will call us out of that place into who he's called us to be. And, and so it's learning to be sensitive to the spirit and to obey his voice and authenticity living out of that place of this is who I am I, I, I mean part of my story was I was involved in, a, in a, a theft when I was working in my early days and I've told this story so many times um, I, the first time I told it to the church I was literally shaking and I was preaching and the Holy Spirit told me tell the story about when you stole stuff from work and you went back to the old boss and told him and it's just this kind of uh, a key part it was the first time I discovered grace actually because my, my boss forgave me it was just this amazing moment for me and I told the story but literally I was shaking and I, but I've told it so many times over the years since I forgot about it until just recently I was preaching at a justice service just this Sunday which is the justice service is the service that I think they have in all county towns across the, the nation um, it, it's where they celebrate justice and so you have the police commissioner the assistant police commissioner the judges you know all in there dressed up the judges with all their wigs and the Holy Spirit said tell that story <laughs> I'm like uh, <laughs> is there any kind of immunity if you're in a pulpit I don't know <laughs> so I've literally got this row of judges in front of me with all their wigs the red judges the purple judges I didn't know they had so many different colours the black judges you know, they had the whole lot the police commissioner the assistant police commissioner the mayor the MP I've got the Holy Spirit saying tell that story but I told it I told it and afterwards people thanked me I was like Oh my gosh, you were so honest. We've never heard anything like that before. It was a breath of fresh air. They were saying all of this stuff. But to me, it came after years of being sensitive to the Holy Spirit. So that when, when he said do it, I was like, all right, there's judges in the room. If you're sure, Lord. And the assistant police commissioner said to me, don't worry, I'm not going to be following you home tonight. 
He was profoundly affected. He'd never, never heard or seen anything like it. One of the magistrates said to me, you are very brave. We, we're told to keep our stuff private and secret. We don't tell anyone our past. I was like, yeah, I can't understand that. <laughs> but there's something about that sensitivity to the Holy Spirit that is, 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 called, is called to. And, and it's out of that place that the Holy Spirit so often moves. It's out of our brokenness. It's out of our weakness. It's out of our honesty. I remember a youth uh, kind of uh, 20s event that I did and I told my story, which I told again many times of uh, how I was addicted to pornography and how God had set me free. And um, often, mostly when I tell that story, the guys get free. But there was one stood out to me because at the end, when we had a testimony time, one girl, she was 18, and she said, Simon, when you shared that story, she said, most people think this is a guy's problem. She said, but I've been addicted to pornography since I was early teens. And she said, today I finally came into the light and finally confessed to someone else. And I just want everyone to know that I'm walking in freedom now. What was interesting was five other women also across that conference also confessed to the same thing. And suddenly my authenticity and hers broke something open. And we had fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus came and washed us and covered our sin. And there's something about that the Holy Spirit loves, which is why I think he picks out these stories of Ananias and Sapphira and Simon. It's that, it's that, um, that hardness, that coldness that he's trying to say, these two don't work together. <laughs> these two don't work together. There's a sensitivity to the Spirit and honouring of him and who he is. Third thing. Um, I think is important is the expectant, expectation of the Spirit's demonstration. I think you'll see that right the way through Acts. Acts 5, though, would be a place I would turn to. Now, many signs and wonders were done regularly among the people by the hands of the apostles. They were all together in Solomon's portico. None of the rest dared join them, but the people held them in high esteem. And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multiplied, multiples of men and women. So they even carried out the sick into the streets and laid them on cots and mats. As Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. People gathered from towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all healed. So you've got the dependence on the Spirit, you've got the sensitivity to the Spirit, but what I see through Acts is just an expectation. Just that expectation that came on the people. You know, that, that, you know Peter, Peter and John at the gate, and they lean down, and, and, and he says, Silver and gold of my number, such as I have, I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ. Get up and walk. And then it says, nothing happened. Nothing happened. And then he says, he leaned down and he grabbed his hand. I mean, that's a, imagine that. That's a long lean right there. <laughs> grabbed his hand and he, and he pulled him. But he knew there was an expectation in his spirit. I don't even know what transaction happened before that. But there was an expectation that when I grabbed this guy's hand, something's going to happen. And we have to be very careful with that, particularly around the, the heavily disabled. We, the people have been hurt through trying to just recreate that out of the flesh. But there's something about getting our churches and ourselves to the place where we live in that place of expectation, <laughs> sensitive to what he wants to do. Some, somehow, it's the same with Paul, isn't it? He said he finished preaching and he said he looked at a man and he knew that he had faith to be healed. And the lame, and he commands the guy to get up. And, the, and it's that same something going on, that same resonance in the spirit that leaves us crackling with expectation. I've noticed the difference when uh, I've been speaking in different places. I remember one one time, I think it was actually in, in Lowestoft, and uh, and I saw 
a lady and I saw the expectation come into her eyes. She was sitting about there, actually. Can you feel it? And I, and I saw the expectation come into her eyes and I thought to myself, she's going to get healed. She's just going to get healed. I just know it. I don't even know what's wrong with her, but I know she's going to get healed. And when it came into her, just as she heard the word as I was preaching, when it came into her, afterwards she came up to me and she said, I've just been healed. I had a neck condition for 15 or two, five, 10 years, something like that. And she said, God just totally healed me. No one's even prayed for me. I just got healed as you were speaking. And I thought, I knew. I knew that because I saw the expectation come on you. And there's that expectation that we've got to get into our own hearts. And there's something about navigating that, that disappointment and navigating the things of the past and living with, do you know what, I don't, I don't care almost what happened yesterday. I don't care what happened the last time I prayed. I'm going to live in this place of pregnancy, of expectation that we have to, to, to be there. And to be honest, I, it's not been my place. I lived, I had a backlog of disappointment. Some of you will know my story. You know, the first time I told her, uh, I was calling the church to healing in particular, I think there's so much disappointment in the, in the church in the UK around this area. And I was calling the church. So I, was, I, I told um, Simon Walker's story. And those of you who know Simon leads a church in Bristol. And he and his whole family of six got healed of food intolerances. The whole lot of them in one suit. And so much so, they had wheat and dairy intolerances. So much so, they each drank a pint of milk and then went out, went out to Pizza Express and had a full-on beet pan pizza. I tell you what, I don't have those intolerances and that makes me feel sick just thinking about it. But they were all fine and they were all totally healed. And, and so I told this, told this story to the church and then afterwards this lady walks up to me and she said, I've got food intolerances, why don't you pray for me? And my default, res- my internal response was, why do you have to ruin a great story and ask me to do the same thing? That's so annoying, there's always one. I'd done a great preach, I was going to home, enjoy my dinner and the rest of my day and you just ruined my day. <laughs> and I prayed for her, a short prayer, she went off, she came back next week and, uh, and she, she said, Simon, I've eaten stuff that I've never eaten before in my life. And my response was, really? (laughs) And I knew then, there's an issue in here. There's an expectation issue. There's a right... I can come to the front and say, fill me Holy Spirit as much as I like. But until I get that, this dealt with whatever it is and, it, and it's, it's ongoing it, it's an ongoing thing that I continually battle with I think it never, never goes away I think for, for believers there's that, that sense uh, there was another story a number of years later and I'd seen dramatic miracles up until that point and then I was preaching at a conference and there was a thousand people there which I'm not saying to big myself up but because it bigs up the embarrassment uh, and uh, this guy came up to me and he, um, he was in the time to testify and he had this blue plastic thing. And as he came to take the mic, he grabbed the blue thing and he said, um, he said Simon, uh, I just want to testify. I had this back condition, which I've had for five years. This thing is my back brace. And um, I've, I, I, I've, God has just healed me. Someone prayed for me and I'm totally healed. I can touch my toes. Everyone just went crazy. It was just amazing. And, we had, and I had been praying, God, give us meetings where we get crutches and wheelchairs and stuff left at the front, like they used to do in the revivals in America. Give us that stuff. So I'd been praying and crying. Out. So I've got this back brace. He gets to go down and I go to give him the back brace back. And he won't take it. And it's like this awkward thing in front of a thousand people where I'm trying to give it to him and he won't take it. And I'm trying to force it on him and he just won't take it. And eventually he looks me in the eyes. It was like this awkward thing which took 30 seconds but took, felt like it took longer in front of a thousand people. And he looks me in the eye and says, what do I need that for? And I saw in his soul just the expectation and faith of God and I saw in my own soul unbelief. And I was the one preaching! <laughs> And I was the one who'd been crying out, God, give us the evidence. Do you see, so often we're the resistance to our own prayers. 
we cry out, but the, the resistance is in here. And actually, God was confronting me in that moment. He's like, you, you want to get wheelchairs and crutches at the front of meetings? That, awesome. There's some stuff in here I want to deal with if we're going to flow in that kind of power. There's some stuff in here we, we need to see. There's an expectation in our hearts that is needed, and, and you see it right the way through Acts. They lived in this place, this posture, uh, an excitement about what the Spirit would do and what God would do. And Luke just overflows by it. The fourth thing would be this, the sense of being led by the Spirit. Acts, and you see evidences right the way through Acts. Acts 8, and the Spirit said to Philip, go over and join that chariot. Acts 9, the whole story about Ananias. I love, I'll read this one because I love Ananias' story. This is so, I can relate to this. There was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. This is Acts 9, verse 10. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, and he said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Rise and go to a street called Straight, to the house that Judas took for a man named, the name of Tarsus, named Saul. For behold, he's praying. He's seen a vision. A man named Ananias came in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias said, Lord, I've heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. He's here from authority, by the way, Lord, didn't you know? From the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said, go. He's a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles, the kings and the kings and the children of Israel. So Ananias departed. And you see it right the way through Acts, this dialogue with the spirit, this individual but also a corporate sense of we're following the voice of the spirit acts 10 you know peter's whole shift in theology around the gentiles happens as he is is led by the spirit and moves into that place acts 11 agabus you know they uh, they had the prophetic word foretold by the spirit there'll be a famine and then what happens so they took up an offering there is just an immediacy of god you're speaking we're going to do it and i'm challenged by that because so often we hear the prophetic words and we just don't do anything with it we just, we just, it just kind of, we, we sometimes have so much prophetic stuff that we just get blinded by the whole thing and we lose a sensitivity, a, de- a dependence of saying, God, you are leading this thing and we're going to do what you tell us to do next. And our strategy comes from you and we're just following you. And this is not about us, this is about you, Spirit of God. This is your church and you've got a plan and we just need to line up with your plan and do what you want us to do. We are led by you. And so often that gets twisted in our heads. Sometimes I think we get overwhelmed with the prophetic. Sometimes we don't take the time to value, to weigh the prophetic and really own it uh, and decide which we feel is from God and which isn't. I don't know what it is, but, but for, for RM, the key is going to be increasingly, and I know this would resonate with where you want to be, is in your lives as leaders, in your lives as churches, in your lives as a movement, not to be led by this or to be led by the strategies of man, but to be led by this. Say, we're going to be a people who are led by the Spirit. And, and that's where he is. And, and Terry obviously modelled that to us so brilliantly. And we need to keep that going, second generation, that we're people who, led, who are led by the Spirit. And, and so one of the things, just to illustrate from our um, uh, place, what we're doing is a change. We've, we, for years, our groups were, uh, our church groups were just a mess. You know, we would start six and close seven. You know, they were just, we were just like, goodness me, we, we blackmailed people, we kidnapped their children to try and get them to lead. It was anyone else related to this? We were just like, come on, what's wrong with you? We would preach it up a storm, you know, and then it was just, it's just terrible. And then through another church, actually, the Lord spoke to us and he said, stop all of that. Stop asking people to lead. Just ask them one simple question. What is God saying to you and what are you going to do about it? 
and just ask that question one-on-one, ask it through preachers, just ask, what is the Lord already leading, what is he saying to you, and what are you going to do? Actually, your job is to provoke them to just do what I'm calling them to do. Because the vision and the strategy is already in the church very often. And we peddle around trying to get people to do what we think we want them to do. Was actually God's already put it in their hearts. And so we stopped all of asking. Actually, I have to repent. I did ask two group leaders to lead. And interestingly, out of the groups we started, those are the two that closed the fastest. <laughs> There's an irony there. So I, 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 I repented of that. And we don't ask people to lead anymore. We just, even on our website, we just have, do you want to lead a group? And we, we have a process that people go through now to lead. I would be horrified if you said that five years ago. You'd actually ask people publicly that they want to lead. We used to put them through all these things. Now we take them through a process to leadership. But fundamentally, we're looking for what is the Spirit of God saying and where is he leading you. And it has just been amazing to see who has come uh, through. I mean, and Liam will be able to tell you, perhaps he can tell his story later on. But Liam reads, I mean, I, five years ago, if you just said to me, which group do you want to start? I said, I'll reach, start a group reaching this area, start a group doing, doing that. You know, there seems like a big need here, start a group. Liam started a group reaching witches and warlocks. I mean, <laughs> I mean, who figured? But the fruit that they are seeing... Because God has spoken to him and he's gathering others who want to do that. And they go to witch festivals and pray and prophesy over witches. I mean, it's just like nuts. But God's on it. And it's bearing fruit. And they've seen salvation. They've seen people baptised and join other churches off the back of it. It's just amazing. We've got one of our ladies. She's such a timid, timid, quiet soul. You'd never have picked her out of a room and said, oh, she's a leader. She just doesn't, doesn't say anything hardly. And yet she, after a while of saying, what's God saying to you? What are you going to do about it? Again and again, she said, what? I could lead a group, maybe. And we said, well, what, what's God saying to you? He said, well, actually, I'm already doing it. He said, he spoke to me about going to Yarlswood, which is like a, an asylum seeker's centre. And uh, I went with another guy, and then he stopped going. And so I've been going, and I go every week, and I, and I speak to the ladies there about Jesus. And, um, uh, but I could do, it's getting a bit big for me. I could do with a team to help me. Maybe we could turn that into a group. Well, oh, okay, well, how many ladies come every week to hear you? He said, oh, about 130. <laughs> We're like, you are preaching every week to 130 women on your own. She said, yep, that's about right. <laughs> so now a group's formed around her. And she, she needed some help to learn to lead people and all of that stuff. But what's God saying to you? I mean, we had an amazing story. There was one lady who was there, I mean, in an asylum centre. Literally, it's the most depressing, soulless place on the planet. You've been rejected for asylum, basically. It cannot get much worse than that. So you're going back to the hellhole that you came from. And her testimony was this, I'm so glad that I came to this place because it was here that I met you guys. I've given my life to follow Jesus. I got healed of hepatitis B. I think she had eczema as well. She got healed of that. And uh, she said, I'm so glad that I came here to this soulless, God-forsaken place. Why? Because she encountered Jesus and she encountered some of the people of God. I just love those stories. But it's, it's learning to be led by the Spirit. And one thing that I've learned just to, just to look at creating cultures, it's that, it's that sense of we've got to learn and we've got to be not afraid to fall off the bike. You know, uh, Phil Wilthew, my colleague, um, preached a sermon recently and his, the title was uh, um, Failure, is an, op- is, failure is, an, is an Option, Timidity is Not. Failure is an Option, Timidity is Not. And it really underpins what we... I've taught all three of my kids to to ride a bike, and this is how I've done it. I've taken them to the place, and I've said, grassy kind of area. And I said, do you want to ride a bike? And they're like, yes, Dad, yes, Dad. Got their new helmet on and the new bike in the back. Okay. 
I was like, you've got to give me 20 minutes of your time then. And uh, in a moment, you are going to fall off your bike and you're going to hurt yourself and you're going to cry and you're going to want to back, be back in the car. But you need to promise me that you won't get back here until 20 minutes are up. I'll set my watch. 20 minutes are up. You can get back in the car, not a minute before. And they're like, yeah, yeah, are you sure you want to learn to ride a bike? Yeah, because in a moment, you're going to hurt yourself and cry. Yeah, I really want to learn a bike. I really want to learn a bike. Okay, here we go. We get out of the car. We get on the grass. Within two minutes, they've fallen off. They're crying. They've hurt themselves. I want to go home. <laughs> no, no, no. We had an agreement. 20 minutes. Is this a cruel way of parenting? I don't know. All one of my, every one of my kids has learned to ride a bike. Why? Because they learn to push through failure. Yet when it comes to the things of the Spirit and following of the Spirit, the church is terrified of failure. They're terrified of failure. And so they want to, le- they want to, they see the stuff and they want to learn to ride the bike. And it's the same for us as leaders. We want to go for it, but we're terrified of falling off the bike. You cannot learn to ride a bike without, if you don't face the fear of falling off. That's the number one thing you've got to get over, is that facing the fear of falling. And it's the same with leading, being led by the Spirit. We will get it wrong, we will make mistakes. At the end of the day, I want to be able to say to Jesus, to the best of my ability, I follow the Spirit. For my own life and for the church and for our movement, we follow the Spirit. And, and I don't think he's going to be cross with me for getting it wrong. If genuinely I can say, actually, I follow the Spirit to the best of my ability. I, 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 he knows us. He knows that we're but grass. He knows that we hear through many different filters. But it's that Spirit that says, Holy Spirit, as a leader, as a church, we want to be led by you. And that's, that's so, so key. You know, one of the things we do at um, our TSM course is creating a culture, our training for supernatural ministry, because we realise this is a massive, massive issue. So we've created a culture where obedience is celebrated and what will happen is someone will come back from like a ministry trip out on the streets I don't believe that everyone needs to go out on the streets but I encourage everyone to do it at least once because I'll tell you what when you go out on the streets and talk to unbelievers you face your fear of talking to the lost and you face your fear that God won't speak to you and use you and once you've done that and broken through that then the rest of your life is open You'll, you'll do it insane. To me, the, the end game is not some artificial go out on the streets as a group. The end game is everyday life in the Sainsbury's, in the workplace. That's the end game. I just use different tools to get people to that end game. That's the end game, though. And so um, uh, what we do at TSM is creating this culture that celebrates being. So you'll hear someone, you know, often, I mean, they're terrified of going out on the streets. And they'll say, I went out, I went into the baker's, and I heard a word of knowledge. And, and I, I asked the baker, did he have a back problem? And he said... No, there was nothing wrong with his back. His back has never been stronger. He's got the back of an ox, you know, or something like that. And so I walked out again, and all the students would be like, yeah, that's amazing. And the guests, we always have guests that would be like, this is weird. We're celebrating a wrong word of knowledge. But we're not, are we? We're not celebrating a wrong word of knowledge. We're celebrating obedience. We're celebrating that you've pushed through your fear and you thought you heard God, and perhaps you got it wrong, or perhaps you don't, because sometimes they lie. They have got a back problem. They say no. <laughs> but but you, you we're celebrating that spirit that says, God, I want to be led by you, and I'm willing to be. I mean, one of the, the stories that most impacted me was from John Wimber. And when he was an unbeliever, he walked, and uh, he, he saw a guy, and on, he was wearing a sandwich board. And on the front it said, I'm a fool for Christ. And he thought, he said that he was a cool musician. He thought, that's the stupidest thing I've ever seen in my life. And as he walked past, he looked back, and on the back it said, Whose fool are you? 
And when it, at the moment when he came to Christ, that, that picture came back to him. And it was one of the things that led him to faith in Christ because he realised everybody's somebody's fool. Everybody is somebody's fool. You're going to be a fool for Christ or you're going to be a fool for someone else. And just stories like this just help our hearts and they realise that we're so afraid of appearing the fool. We're so afraid of being called a fool or thought a fool, thought a fool but actually everyone's a fool. You've just got to choose who you want to be a fool for. I want to be a fool for Christ. I want to be a fool for the Holy Spirit. I would rather get it wrong, trying my best to follow the Holy Spirit, than get it all so right that say, Holy Spirit, not interested in what you've got to say. It's that heart in our hearts as leaders in our churches that just changes things. It changes our posture. It means that we, we are looking for an apostolic energy that goes beyond anything that we can do. RM will get so far on your own, just, just management strategy. You can plant the right person and a good guy here and you can get so far. But I'm telling you, that's not how the early church grew. You know, look at Antioch, the fastest growing church in the early church. I think that within, by AD 300, it grew to 100,000 people. How did it grow? It grew by some persecuted believers rocking up in Antioch and doing what? Full of the Spirit, start making disciples. Make disciples who make disciples and then suddenly they've got a whole army of disciples and the apostles start hearing from the disciples that the Antioch disciples have made. They can't start coming back to Jerusalem. And they're like, what on earth is going on in Antioch? And so they send Barnabas and yes, he helps, he shapes, he moves it on, he brings Paul in to teach. But fundamentally, it was a work of the Spirit. They had no strategy for Antioch. They were quite happy in Jerusalem. And God was like, right, let's bring some persecution. He won't move, I'll move you. So he moves them and they move to Antioch and they start one of the fastest growing churches in the region. That's how RM's going to take this planet. It's by the divine leading of the Spirit of God and by creating people who are so full of the Spirit that wherever they go, they're just going to start making disciples. They're just going to change the world around them. They're just full of God. And people just, when they see God, they can't help it. They're not full of religion. They're not full of the right way of doing things. They're just full of Jesus. And they'll make mistakes and they'll get it wrong and they'll say sorry. But they're just full of the Spirit and people can't stay away from that stuff. That's how you're going to grow beyond just normal management techniques and doing the right thing and all of that. It's by getting a people who are led by the Spirit who honestly can say, What's, this, what's, what's God saying to you and what am I going to do about it in my workplace, in my, you know, in my... And we can do all of the... And this is the danger. We can do all of the training of church planters and all of the training of leaders and all of that we like. And it's all good and there's nothing wrong with it. But until we get that divine unction of God's momentum, it just stays so pedestrian. And you look at other nations and you look at what God is doing and their training sucks. It's just rubbish. It's just hopeless. And they want us to come in and train people. But the reality is what they've got, that divine energy. And I'm praying, God, in, the, in Europe, we need that divine energy. We're never going to reach France alone on our own steam. We've got to have the divine energy of God. We've got to create the types of people who are so full of the Spirit that you won't be able to keep up with them. You won't even know where they are. They'll have started a church and it'll be 100 people before you even know that they went. It's that kind of energy that we're talking about. And what's exciting is that God has done it before and he's doing it now in other parts of the world and he wants to do it here in Europe. Europe will be saved. But we've got to, we can't just do it the same way we've been doing it for the last few hundred years. We've got to do something different and I believe this is the source of it. It's saying, Holy Spirit, we're not going to move from this until we are led by you, until you start highlighting cities and, and different parts and sending your people. And we're just, catch- the apostolic bit is just catching up with what you are already doing. And the Lord is creating that kind of people. And then lastly, the big theme, I think, that comes through in Acts, 
So the, the, the dependence on the Spirit, the sensitivity to the Spirit, the expectance of the Spirit's demonstration, they were led by the Spirit. And lastly, it's this ability to walk with the Spirit through joy and pain. To walk with the Spirit through joy and pain. Because if I were, if I were the Holy Spirit, I wouldn't have written Acts the way I wrote it. I'd have cut out all of the depressing bits. The bit where James gets the sword run through his belly and Peter walks away. You know, the bit where they're in Antioch and they get driven out through persecution. But notice right after they get driven out through persecution, it says, and the disciples were filled with joy in the Holy Spirit. There was no wonderful meeting with the worship band coming and people responding to Christ. No, they'd literally just been driven out of the town. They'd seen some fruit and then they were driven out, but they were filled with joy in the Holy Spirit. When Stephen's about to be stoned, but he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. There's, there's this theme, isn't it, of the fullness of the Spirit, not just being about taking the next hill, but sometimes weeping that the next hill wasn't taken. <laughs> it's that theme of staying close to him. And this is where I think often the church goes wrong. We we think, yes, we're going to get filled with the Spirit and it's all going to be brilliant from now on. But the story of Acts is not that. It was filled with heartache and pain and persecution. But it says they were filled with joy in the Spirit. You know, Richard Vernbrandt, the, the, the Romanian pastor who was just persecuted horrendously by the communists, he was, he was asked uh, later about that persecution. And he says sometimes... He said, as I look back on it, he said, those Romanian prison cells, we were were beaten almost daily, often daily, for preaching the Gospels. He said, the most horrendous places on earth. But I tell you what, if I had the choice, I might go back. And he was asked why, and he said, because we knew the joy of God and the radiance of his glory in a way that I've never experienced it since. He said, sometimes we would be worshipping and the whole room would just light up with his glory. <laughs> he said, I've, I've never tasted anything like it. It was, as cl- it was the, the, the distance between heaven and it was so thin. He said, it, amidst the beatings and the persecution, and literally he saw men whose sons were murdered in front of them because they wouldn't recant the gospel. I mean, that's, it was brutal. The women were raped and abused. I mean, it was just horrendous. But in the midst of that, he said, I'm torn. It was horrible. But if, if I was given the choice, I might go back. <laughs> because the glory and the joy of the encounter of God was so, so rich. And we've got to live in that place as, as believers, haven't we? Live in that place of recognising Holy Spirit. We're in this together for the long haul. I'm going to refuse to let disappointment derail me from this. I'm going to be full of your life and your joy. And, and, and we've seen it again and again. You know, a couple of, whose uh, marriage was saved after 15 years. It's a work of the Holy Spirit. He brought them back together. He restored them. And a couple where the husband just left and the wife is left grieving, bereaved, in pain, but receiving joy and comfort from the Holy Spirit. And we've, we've seen both. We've seen tumours disappear from breasts, cancerous tumours disappear from breasts, and we've had women die of breast cancer. And if I painted you any other picture, it would be a false picture, because that's the picture we read in Acts. 
great glory, great pain. But the Holy Spirit's through it all. And he uses it all. And he works through it all. And it's so, when it gets covered in him, even the darkest points in Acts, even Stephen and his martyrdom, they've got these slithers of glory through them. And you can see him, can't you? They're kneeling there, about to be stoned to death with his face radiant as he sees Christ at the right hand of the Father. You see that, and I just think it's just such a beautiful picture of what it means for us to walk in the, the fullness of the Spirit and to be people of the Spirit. We just can't sign up for stuff that says, oh, you'll never, be, you'll never, you'll never experience hard times. If we, if we sign up for that in our own hearts, if we sign up to our churches to that, they'll just be disappointed. It's a false gospel. It's not what's preached in the, in the Scriptures. We pray for deliverance. We pray for freedom. We pray for breakthrough. And sometimes we have to walk through it and we don't get this side of eternity. But we're those who stand in the gap and say, God, your kingdom come. We refuse to change the subject. We will see your glorious bride risen up on this planet. We will see cancer driven off. We will see diseases of every name. We will see your church. And we will see God dwell with people. That's where it's going. There's ups and downs on the road, but that's our destination. And we will not change the subject until we see it. And some of us will be buried before we see it. And we will celebrate together, though, for all eternity that God and his people dwelt on earth. That there was no more mourning and sickness and pain. That there was an intimacy with the Spirit. And sometimes in these days we feel the Spirit and sometimes we wake up and think, am I even a believer? Anyone ever had that feeling? Sometimes you wake up and Jesus is on the throne and the Spirit's filling you from the moment and you're laughing in joy. And the next morning you wake up and think, am I even saved? I don't know. And you go for this. But that's life. And that's what Acts paints for us is this picture of the both end, walking with the Spirit through joy and pain. One of the things, though, just to finish as we come in for a landing, is that is that reality of sensitivity is so important. That, you know, I, I read about Charles Finney, who saw just phenomenal revivals. There was some, some stuff of his theology wasn't that, that healthy, but, but actually saw an amazing move of God in America. And one of the things I read, which I'd not read for, before, was what he would do when he felt the spirit lift. And he said, as soon as I felt the spirit lift, he said, I would stop everything, I would cancel everything, He said, I would go for a day. And there was a place in the woods that he would go. And he said, I would walk for a day until I felt the anointing of God come back on me. I refuse to do anything without that anointing. And I thought, that is interesting. (laughs) How often do I, looking back over the last month or year even sometimes, think, I'm not sure the Spirit's on me like he was. How often do I then stop and say, I'm not taking any other appointments (laughs) until you come and fill me again, Lord God. that sense, isn't there? Of Holy Spirit, fill us. We're dependent on you. Amen. Let's pray for a moment, shall we? We'll take take a lunch break. But if you just feel like you know what, I feel like there's a there's a sensitivity to the Spirit that's been lacking in my life and my leadership. I just want to repent of that. I want to be like Finney for a moment and stop. Why don't you just just stand to your feet?